0: Illumina and the Global Nonprofit Genetic Alliance last year unveiled the IHOPE Genetic Health Program, which is aimed at providing whole-genome sequencing to patients across the globe impacted by genetic disease. At least half of IHOPE Genetic Health's efforts will be focused on areas of the world in need outside the United States, with more than one-third of Illumina's support being dedicated to patients in Africa. Through the program, Illumina will enable Genetic Alliance to create networks of clinics and laboratories equipped with necessary genome technology to provide precision genomic diagnosis to patients suffering from rare genetic diseases. We spoke to Ryan Taft, Vice President of Scientific Research for Illumina, about the growing case for expanded use of genome sequencing as a diagnostic tool, the I Hope Genetic Health Program, and its efforts to expand use of the technology in low- and middle-income communities around the globe. Ryan, thanks for joining us.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: We're going to talk about the growing case for making genome sequencing a, a standard of care within pediatric patients with signs and symptoms of genetic diseases, and a recent effort by Illumina to expand the use of sequencing in low- and middle-income communities around the world. Where are we with the use of whole genome sequencing as a clinical tool? To, to what extent has whole genome sequencing been integrated into the healthcare system today?
1: It's a great question, Danny, a great place to start. And as you know, this is a topic very near and dear to my heart. I want to see every kid uh, who needs access to this kind of technology get it. Uh, I I still think we're at the beginning phases of seeing this routinely used in the clinic. Um, We've got now dozens of laboratories all over the world who have spun this up as a validated clinical test. Uh, But if we think about the total number of patients out there in the world, somewhere between 250 million to 300 million uh, patients with a rare and undiagnosed genetic disease, I think we're still barely scratching the surface. So the tools are there, the infrastructure there, uh, but we're not yet there with the scale. Uh, So if we think about this as a kind of industrialization process, we're still at the very beginning. We're still at the very early adopters and we have yet to see mainstream adoption.
0: You were an author of a recent article in the Journal of Genomic Medicine that found that there's significant underutilization of genetic testing and substantial delays for pediatric patients suspected of having a genetic disease to get testing. Can can you quantify that? Yeah, uh, we
1: entered into this study expecting to see underutilization, but frankly, I think we were shocked at the degree to which uh, we're seeing underutilization. So we we did this study using more than 13 million patients drawn from an Optum data set. So this is a data house clinical warehouse uh, provider here in the United States. So this is gonna be focused on US-based patients. Uh, We selected four patients with signs and symptoms of a genetic disease in this data set. And we found that depending on how we cut the data, only four to 8% of those patients had any genetic testing. And maybe to put kind of a fine point on this, if we looked at patients with signs of intellectual disability, developmental delay, multiple congenital anomalies, or epilepsy, and and these conditions have multiple society guidelines which indicate these patients should get genetic testing, we found that only 5% of those patients received any kind of molecular testing and it took about 473 days for them to get a test from first presentation in the clinic. And here we're not talking about getting access to whole genome sequencing, we're talking about any genetic testing whatsoever. So I think we can hand on heart say now that we know this patient is being under-tested, these patients are not getting the diagnoses
0: they need. It's pretty astounding and, and distressing to hear those numbers. Why is that? Why is sequencing not more routinely used, even even genetic testing of any kind, particularly on pediatric patients where they're suspected of having a a genetic disease?
1: It's a great question, and I don't think we have a great answer at this point. So I I can speculate, but the study that we just published didn't address why, and that will certainly be one of the next questions we have to go and and investigate more closely. Um, What what
0: are your speculations? Yeah, yeah.
1: So my speculations are are a few things. So one, I think this does come down to reimbursement for a lot of these tests. So is it possible for a clinician to order this test and and actually have it reimbursed? As we know, policies across the US are highly variable. Um, They're often difficult to manage. Our system isn't great at making sure these patients can can get the right test at the right time from a reimbursement standpoint. Um, The second is education. Um, And that's at multiple levels. So administrators in systems, making sure they understand the value of this kind of molecular testing. Um, I think it's very obvious sometimes to see the value of a therapy. And I think it takes it's it takes longer to see the value of a diagnosis. Uh, And so I think we need to continue to educate hospital administrators and other health system administrators on the value of these kind of testing. Uh, then there's clinician education um, to make sure that they understand that these tests are going to have an impact on their patients. And then there's patients and families themselves. So I, I think there's a whole almost societal education we need to continue to do about the value of molecular testing and a, and a diagnosis. Well, and, and, go ahead. What,
0: what, what is the case for doing so? And is there an economic case to be made that this is not only beneficial to patients, but cost effective?
1: Yeah. So um, I'll take that in two parts. So I think there's the, you know, what, what is almost the existential case uh, for making sure these patients get a diagnosis, you know, and, and the strong statement I often make is I, I personally have never worked on a case where providing a diagnosis didn't have an impact on the patient or that family. You know, we're, we're stopping the diagnostic odyssey, stopping unnecessary testing. Um, we're often providing a psychological salve. We're, we're providing that family an answer. We're, we're stopping that psychological anguish. Uh, we often put these patients on the right supportive care pathway. So even if it's not an an ideological therapy, it's not going directly to the pathway that's aberrant. It's it's providing a care pathway that wouldn't have been available to them. And then in some cases, we actually do have drugs or other therapies we can pull off a shelf that lead to dramatic quality of life changes. So that's the a kind of philosophical existential set of arguments. From a cost perspective, I think we see increasing evidence that doing particularly whole genome sequencing system-wide is going to be cost-saving. So we just saw the 100,000 Genomes Project out of gel publish their first kind of pilot set of data in the New England Journal of Medicine, where they were able to show this in their rare disease population. Um, And my colleagues here at Illumina just published a paper in genetics and medicine where they did a modeling exercise where they looked at both pediatric patients and neonates and they looked at standard of care testing. So which would be kind of multiple uh, molecular genetic tests, uh, genome sequencing or genome sequencing after standard of care testing. Uh, And what it showed was that at worst, genome sequencing is cost neutral and at best it's likely to be cost savings. Um, so I think we're seeing more and more evidence that this is the right thing to do for the patients, not just because it puts them on the right care pathway, but because it's going to save the system money.
0: What do you think it would take to change that and make it more routinely used?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think think this goes back to some of the gaps we've talked about, right? So we, we need reimbursement policies that that acknowledge the need for this testing systematically. Uh, We need to increase system level education of the clinician, the administrators, and the people who are gonna be ordering these tests. Uh, We need, at least in the US, uh, we need federal and state policies um, that are gonna support this kind of testing. And of course, we've gotta continue to develop the tools that are gonna make this easier. I mean, the technology's matured at an amazing rate over the last 10 years. Uh, But I I certainly want to see it get to a point where this is as push-button as possible. And and so we need to continue to push the technology, and associated with that will be a further decrease in cost. So as the interpretation in particular gets more streamlined, we're going to save the laboratories money. They're going to be able to scale, and that will allow it to get into the systems more effectively.
0: Last month, Illumina and Genetic Alliance announced the creation of the IHOPE Genetic Health Program. What is iHope and what is it seeking to do?
1: Yeah, um, I'm super excited about this program. So we've been uh, essentially piloting uh, iHope at Illumina for almost eight years. Uh, We realized very early on that there were going to be lots of patients who would benefit from this technology who weren't going to be able to get access to it. Uh, And so we started a philanthropic program to try and close that gap. Uh, It started with just uh, a few genomes uh, being donated by the company. And then over the last few years, it's grown to 500 plus uh, patients per year. And the whole idea was to push into uh, areas of the U.S. and and areas of the world uh, where they would have a really hard time getting access to this. And we've seen really amazing effects. Um, So we just presented at the American Society of Human Genetics on the last thousand or so cases, that have come through the program. Uh, We had clinics that we were partnered with uh, in nine countries, total of about 24 clinics. And we were able to provide definitive diagnoses in about 42% of those cases. So more than 400 children got a diagnosis through the program. Uh, What was really exciting to us about that data was uh, we now had enough cases to start to ask questions about uh, what was happening in who categorized high income versus low and middle income countries. And what we saw was that uh, we were actually able to provide more children proportionately with a diagnosis in low and middle income countries. It makes sense. Many of them had uh, much lower levels of previous testing. Uh, Those patients received more new diagnoses or unexpected diagnoses through genome testing. But what was really fascinating is that when we looked at clinical utility of the tests, like how many of these patients had a change in management as a result of the program, it was almost equivalent between high and low and middle income countries. Um, So in both cases, about 62% of those kids had a change in management. So this really starts to, I think change the narrative about when and how this kind of information can be impactful. Uh, It's not just going to be restricted to, you know, top tier academic medical centers. It can still have an impact even if the child is being seen in a, in a more resource limited setting. And, and and so uh, we've, been thinking for years about how, how do we scale this program? So it's not hundreds of patients a year, but tens of thousands or even more. Uh, and so that's what we launched uh, just a few weeks ago is Illumina committed $120 million in kind. Uh, so that's reagents to run the sequencers, sequencers themselves, uh, so- software access um, and expertise. And they've donated that to Genetic Alliance, and then Genetic Alliance is going to have effectively what amounts to a grants program to enable other laboratories and clinics to do exactly what we've been doing. So the idea is to democratize the program. So instead of having all of this testing run through one lab at, at Illumina headquarters, it's going to run through dozens of laboratories all over the world to get that kind of scale.
0: I, I want to touch on a little more detail on how, how the program is going to work, but... You know, uh, half of this is going into low and middle income countries. Uh, a third of it is going to countries in Africa. Uh, I, I want to touch on a, a point you you mentioned earlier. In In these resource constrained areas, I think a lot of people might say these kids aren't going to have access to therapies, but you're actually finding it's changing the treatment that these children are receiving.
1: That's right. Um, and you know we still need to generate more data about uh, exactly how that's playing out, You know which therapies are available, which ones aren't. But I'll, I'll come back to that because we, we have a, a proposal here to get um, multiple partners engaged in, in helping with that. But, but I can tell you that the data we have in hand right now shows that we are seeing changes in management in low and middle income countries. Sometimes those are, as we talked about earlier, just putting them on the right supportive care pathway. So perhaps it's not an enzyme replacement therapy, but it is appropriate screening for that patient downstream if, for example, part of their condition is a predisposition to cancer. Um, We have seen cases, though, for example, a child who was seen in South America in a more uh, resource-limited setting where we found a copy number variant associated with a dystonia, and that child was uh, responsive to levodopa, so something that was easily available to them and led to a dramatic quality of life change. Um, so I, I think we I think the assumption that these children aren't going to see benefit is is one that we very seriously need to look at and and whether that's actually a bias in our thinking. I think it is. And I think we can absolutely go with confidence into these regions and and deliver precision diagnoses and reasonably expect improvements in their care.
0: This is a hundred and twenty million dollars effort. Uh, it's not just a matter of paying for testing, but it's really establishing uh, infrastructure and training in in these countries. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, the idea here is is that this will form the nexus of a, a set of partnerships which will help enable testing um, in these laboratories and support these clinics. Um, So you can imagine that uh, there are technology companies that would be interested in this, pharmaceutical companies and other nonprofits. Uh, So the program again will be run, administered and housed at Genetic Alliance. And so I don't, I wanna speak on their behalf uh, but I can say there's a lot of exciting developments ahead in terms of the partners that are gonna come on board to support
0: this. Yeah, I say that just to suggest this should have a much more lasting impact than just doing 120 million dollars worth of testing. Yeah,
1: absolutely. The 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 a metaphor one of my colleagues used is uh, we have a boulder at the top of a hill. We've given it a nudge, and now it's rolling down. Um, and and that's that's exactly what we're we're trying to do here. Uh, we it. This isn't a you know a single shot. You know, let's sequence a bunch of people or a bunch of kids and see what happens. This is how do we lift the entire ecosystem so that it becomes easier to provide precision diagnoses to patients with genetic disease. Um, So Illumina is, of course, a huge piece of that, and the technology is a huge piece of that. Uh, But we really are talking about uh, addressing some of those gaps we talked about here in the U.S. Um, In a way, we're kind of sidestepping some of the reimbursement issues in some of these regions. We're going to increase education uh, we're going to work with local governments to make sure we have the policies in place to support these patients, and we're going to build infrastructure. Um, there is a capacity-building element of this.
0: And within the collaboration between Genetic Alliance and Illumina, what's Illumina's responsibilities? What are Genetic Alliance's responsibilities?
1: Yeah, this is a Genetic Alliance uh, program. So this will operate at an arm's distance from Illumina. So Illumina is making the donation, but um, Genetic Alliance's leadership, board, employees, they'll be the ones uh, operating the program.
0: Yeah, one of the, the things that I find potentially compelling is that not only are you helping individual patients in all these countries, but there should be an opportunity to really leverage this data. Is, is that built into this in any way? Is there any way that this will help advance the understanding of of rare diseases and genetic variation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there's going to be two components to that. So uh, as part of our philanthropic program, uh, we've committed to donate um, variant-level data to ClinVar, so making sure that the community has access to any variants we've identified and and further building that knowledge set. The second piece to this is that um, we fully anticipate that patients who participate in this, or families that participate in this uh, will be able to get access to their own data through a patient driven data platform. Um, so, Genetic Alliance already has a partnership with Luna DNA, so we certainly expect that to be part of it. But the idea here, philosophically, is we want to make sure that this data is available, but do so in such a way that we're sensitive to. Uh, patient sovereignty, but also national sovereignty. Um, So we've seen a lot of programs historically, I think with the best of intentions, come into some of these regions, do large amount of sequencing, but then that data effectively leaves them and they lose control over it. We wanna make sure that doesn't happen here. Um, So the idea is the patients will own the data. It will be available in a data platform. It will be available to the community but the patients will gate access to that. So we hope what we'll end up creating is the world's largest patient-owned data resource for the community.
0: I hope Genetic Health will begin reviewing applications for clinical home genome sequencing programs in February, 2022. How will that process work? I
1: can give a high level answer to that, but I think Genetic Alliance is is better positioned and I I certainly don't wanna back them into any corners. Um, I I suspect that we'll start with something that looks like a request for information to make sure that they're setting up the program in the best way possible with, you know, mindful of laboratory and clinical requirements. Uh, And then I think this will roll out as many grant processes do with uh, Genetic Alliance saying, "This this is what we can make available in terms of, uh, of the Illumina component of the donation, but also what they get from partners. Uh, and then seeing which laboratories and clinics are, are able to apply and meet their requirements and then uh, dispersing those grants. And, and then I think there'll be uh, metrics and outcomes tracking on, on the back end of that to make sure that that those uh, donations are having the impact in the community that they, that they expected.
0: Ryan Taft, Vice President of Scientific Research for Illumina. Ryan, thanks as always. My pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org.